This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment is going to give you all the signs that you need to know that it's time to tackle your debt problems. Although lots of people have debt repayment factored into their, factored into their monthly budget and consider debt part, part of their financial affairs, Blair is going to be talking about the signals that may indicate a better plan is needed to deal with your debt efficiently. So if you're waiting for a sign to shift focus and tackle your debt for good, this is it. So Blair, your team at Sands and Associates help people across the province uh, who are looking for advice and solutions for dealing with their debt. In your experience, have most people waited too long to get professional help? I would say definitely, Elaine, just about everybody that I meet with, they've suffered more than they had to suffer and for a longer period than they had to be suffering because they were just scared. They just didn't know there was a solution. They may have felt ashamed about the situation they found themselves in. It's never too late to connect with a licensed insolvency trustee. You're going to get professional insights on how to manage your debt, uh, but doing it earlier at you know, the first step of when you start to have a bit of uncertainty about your debt is definitely going to be better than waiting until you know the collection calls are just incessant, uh, if you're getting served notices of legal actions, or perhaps your wages are being taken. So definitely uh, seeking advice early is something that people would benefit from. Uh, in terms of signs of when you think it's time to get serious about getting out of debt, uh, there's a couple right off the top that are really clear, kind of red blinking lights um, that, you know, perhaps you'd benefit from having a good conversation right away. And the first one is if you don't know who you owe or how much you owe. You don't have a, a good sense of your financial picture. Um, and if you're not sure of, uh, of account balances, uh, you might not even know if your creditors are taking legal action against you, um, you know, pursuing you in court or things like that. So it's just really important. Uh, if you don't have a sense of your financial health, um, you know, you're probably not trending in a good direction. So figuring out who you owe and how much you owe to each, that's something just step one that we can even start with in our first consultation is, hey, let's work together. Let's pull a credit report let's start to get a sense uh, of the financial picture and then see what we're dealing with from a problem point of view. What's the next one that people, and it's kind of hard to believe that, that you, you wouldn't know how much you owe and, and all of that to me, but I'm sure that that happens for folks before we get to number two. Yeah, more often than you would, you would think, Elaine, and, and oftentimes it's said with, you know, just a sense of defeatist, like, I just know it's a bad number, so I don't even mm -hmm. want to know the exact number. I've got a stack of mail I haven't opened, and you know, sometimes there's even legal notices in there that should have been opened. Uh, but yeah, it's never a comfortable situation, and usually if someone doesn't know what they owe, it's usually there's a bunch of stuff um, that, that, that they do owe. It's not generally something comes like, oh, you don't owe anything, anybody anything. That generally doesn't happen. There's a bunch right. of they just perhaps lost track of. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so what's the next thing that you, you, you advise people to do or you help them do? 
Yeah, well, another big, big warning sign. So if you don't know who you owe, that's, that's a big one. Okay, let's, let's start to have a conversation. A second one is if you've got a bunch of unfiled tax returns. So whether you owe money or not, it's hugely important that you stay on top of filing your taxes every year. Um, Canada Revenue Agency views it as essentially the price of civilization of being part of this society is you have to file your taxes every year. You know, you might not be able to pay them, but filing the returns is the very important part. Um, and if you delay filing your returns, you're generally not going to be any better off. You know, the, the tax that is only going to grow because there's going to be accruing interest and they're also going to add late filing penalties on top of that. Um, and then CRA, you know, owing CRA money is one thing, but it's a much worse situation to be a non-filer. CRA will actually go after non-filers uh, oftentimes more aggressively than those who have filed everything up to date, who stayed in touch with them, but have just said, you know, this is a big balance, I'm not sure what to do. They'll give that person a whole lot more leeway than the person who might be 5 or 7 or 10 or even 20 years I've seen, you know, delinquent in filing taxes. So if you're really holding off on filing taxes or haven't done so in years, that's another big warning sign that you might need some financial help to get back on track. And how often does CRA these days uh, accrue the interest? Like how are they, is it on a daily, a weekly, a monthly? Mm -hmm. How is that done these days? It's daily. So generally it's on a daily basis. Now uh, with COVID, they've been, you know, quite lenient and have given some breaks on amount sowing. But if it was amount sowing before COVID, they've got a break on that. And certainly in the future there won't be, but yeah, interest and amounts can compound daily with CRA. Okay, good. To, that's good to know. And that would be a motivation, too, for folks to, to know that and have that clearly in their mind before they decide to delay any further on this. So before we continue, mm, exactly. if, yeah, and, bef- and as we, before we continue, if you already know that you need to do something, that if some of this is resonating with you, it's time to give Sands and Associates that call. It's 1-800-661-3030 and get started. And there's a whole complement of professionals that can help you figure this out and how to move forward in the best way possible for you. So what else should we be considering, Blair, when it comes to assessing our debt? Well, I think it's important to not only think about how much do you owe, but who do you owe? And are there certain types of debt that are more high risk than others? And there's certainly two that I want to call out, specifically is what I call the high risk creditors. Um, the first one, and we were just talking about this a little bit, but it's government debt. So you filed the returns, you end up owing them money, but it could be for income taxes, it could be for business, GST, even if you've got an incorporated business, if you are the director, you can be held accountable for the GST. It could be payroll debt, uh, even past MSP, pre- MSP premiums. But the reason why government debt um, is such high-risk debt um, is the government can shortcut just about every collection activities. Um, they can surprise you pretty quickly with some pretty severe remedies. So any other creditor that wants to come and take your wages or take your assets, they have to hire lawyers, serve you with documents, take you to court, win in court, and then get uh, a payment order after that. That's a bunch of steps and a bunch of costs. Uh, if it's the government, you might not even know there's a pending action until it's already in place. They don't need to go to court. They can just take these dramatic actions of seizing assets or seizing wages. So if there are is some government debt that you're dealing with, that's definitely one of those high-risk creditors. Uh, the other high-risk creditor that we tend to see as, as a really red flag of someone that's going to need our help uh, is a payday loan, or now what they've often transitioned into is installment loans, which are just like payday loans with very high interest, but they're for a whole lot more money, sometimes up to $20,000 uh, at a very high interest rate of, you know, sometimes it's 29 
39%, sometimes it's 39 or even 49%. So very high interest, whether it's payday loans or installment loans, we start to see those with individuals, we realize that's a big warning sign that something is not going according to plan because nobody can carry uh, any significant amount of debt at that amount of interest and still be financially okay in the near future. I know that one of the pieces that you want to talk about in this segment is why people are borrowing or why you're borrowing money. And that's really almost like a pause in the in the situation for me. I think, okay, if I'm asking myself why, boy, oh boy, I'm I'm almost ready to start to take some action to resolve the issues. Yeah, it's really important to really dig to the underlying cause. And in some cases, you can really point out, you understand things were going fine, and there was some shock to the system that just happened. You know, the person got sick, or their spouse got sick, or a family member got sick. You know, that that's a pretty clear one. Well, now there's less income or more expenses. Um, you know, sometimes there's gambling or addictions. Um, sometimes there's a job loss or a layoff. So then we know, you know, we can understand why the borrowing is there. But oftentimes what happens when we really dig into it with clients is we can see, well, this just happened that the debt built up over time because of an imbalance of the cost of living versus the income that was coming in. So unless we look detailed at the budget, really figure out a new structure for going forward, we're not going to stop this debt problem from reoccurring because it wasn't one issue. It was just a monthly, a structural type of thing where the person was just overspending a few hundred dollars a month, multiply that by years and add some interest on top of it. Um, then a lot of people will end up in a tough situation. Um, you've also got to consider too, you know, the why you're borrowing, who you're borrowing from. And if you're dealing with a payday lender, as we said, you know, it's very high risk. But if you're also considering, well, you know, maybe I'm going to borrow from friends or family uh, or get a cosign or something like that. Um, definitely that should cause you to, t- to take a pause, have a discussion with a trustee, because adding a cosigner to your debts, in my experience, 100 out of 100 times, it's a bad decision. So I definitely recommend people get some get some advice before they consider doing that. And this segment wouldn't be complete without talking about credit cards. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and the minimum payment trap. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what where I come at it with, with minimum payments, uh, Elaine, um, is that what I really want people to understand is that minimum payments are not designed to get you out of debt. Um, they're designed to keep you in debt as long as possible. Um, and it's just crazy when you start to run some numbers. And we're not talking about extreme credit card debt. You know, of course, $100,000 is going to take forever to pay off. But hey, $6,000 of credit card debt could have you in debt for 40 years of just making minimum payments for zero years and you would have paid that back multiple times over Um, so if you're just stuck on making the minimum payments that's actually one of the number one warning signs that sends people to see us is when people look at their statements look at the minimum payments there's the disclosure it's going to take you x number of years to pay things off and they realize they're really struggling even to make those minimums so trying to pay more than that is just going to be difficult for them so just be very careful if you think you're in good shape because you're making all your minimums your credit rating might look great. You're probably never going to get out of debt unless you do something different. I know that late payments is also something that you really want people to look at before they kind of go as deep as they possibly could on. Well, you want to be careful and you want to be organized as much as you can. If you're able to make the payment, you know, making it on time is better than not making it on time, of course. But sometimes people don't always think about, you know, late penalty fees that can add up even if your payment is just a day or two late. Um, sometimes an increase in an interest rate. So there might be a promotional interest rate uh, or, you know, a best client interest rate and you miss a couple payments and suddenly, well, now you're, you've got more expenses um, than you had otherwise anticipated. Uh, and then what people are usually pretty focused on is notations on your credit history. 
history. So if you start to miss payments, usually one payment isn't going to do a whole lot. But after two or three or more missed payments, you could expect that lender is going to start dinging your credit. Uh, and that's really going to frustrate if you're trying to get yourself back on track and you know maybe trying to qualify for a consolidation loan. Even one account that you consistently pay late can really take you off of that path. Well, we've just got about a minute and a half or so uh, left in this segment, and I know that debt plans are really important and, and that you like to talk about them and the importance of them to folks. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing about debt plans is just to have one, you know, just to have a sense of, okay, I've got a certain amount of debt and here's my here's my method, here's my, my go-forward plan on how I'm going to get that down to zero. And sometimes people come into us, they feel completely hopeless in the first meeting, saying there's no way I'm ever going to be debt-free. And then inside of 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes a little less or a little bit more, uh, we can say, well, here's two paths, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, they're absolutely going to get you to debt-free by a defined time using a defined set of, of provisions within the law. Uh, and most people are just overjoyed to suddenly have something that they can focus on, they can move towards. And even if it's not a formal debt resolution plan, there's a lot of things informally that you can do. A lot of uh, online calculators you can work out for repayments. Um, and you can even consider doing just some quick math, um, you know, looking at your total debts. If it was, say, $10,000, dividing that by 60 payments, is that a payment that you could afford? And if it is, okay, that's could be the size of your debt management plan because over a five-year term, that's what you're going to have to pay back. But if you take your debts and divide it by 60 and it's just totally unaffordable um, in your monthly budget, that's a great warning sign you should be seeing a licensed insolvency trustee. And if you've got more questions, things that we haven't answered in this segment, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. It's chock-a-block full of great questions and lots of answers. Or give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, for that first free sit-down. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're talking about, and this is this feels, oh boy, this feels very scary to talk about this, the idea that creditors are asking that question, can creditors take my income if I don't pay? And how easy is it for a creditor to garnish wages or a bank account? And we've talked about this before, Blair, but I know in preparing for this segment, you said something to me that it's different this year. It's different in 2022 than it was in 2021 or 2020 when it comes to uh, your employer or your debtor. Uh, I should say your debtor, not your employer, but your debtor sort of coming after you for monies owed. Can you talk about that right off the top? Oh, certainly, Elaine. Yeah. And what we had seen, you know, during COVID times, I think everyone is aware of this, the courts were closed. Um, CRA took a very big backseat in terms of collections. They were busy sending out, you know, new money for income supports, which everyone needed and, and was great. But that ceasefire was not going to, learn to last forever, and the courts have reopened. So literally in the last two months, we've seen more wage garnishments than we've seen in the last two and a half years. So we have people that, you know, are phoning up completely distraught. They've gotten their paycheck and it's 70% of what it should have been, or they've had accounts frozen. And it's because now creditors, again, have essentially the hands on the weapons. They're able to go and do these court actions where they weren't able to do it for, you know, over a year or so during the darkest times of COVID. You know, this just wasn't a, a, wasn't a thing. You know, people didn't have to worry about losing their wages, but it's definitely coming back now with a vengeance. So it's something people need to be aware of what can happen and to know there are a lot of things you can do, um, you know, to hit back if this does happen to you. 
Okay, well, let's start right there, uh, taking us through what can happen in a situation when someone isn't able to continue making payments on their debt. Like you said, there's all kinds of things uh, that can happen. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in general, you'd anticipate if you miss payments, your creditor might charge you some fees for defaulting. They might report to your credit bureau, and, you know, that's generally going going to happen. But a couple things that can also happen, they might increase your interest rate. So sometimes you've got a promotional interest rate or a preferred rate. As soon as you start to miss payments, that suddenly can skyrocket, make it even tougher for you to get on top of things. Uh, when you start to miss payments, often they'll start to send your account to a collection agency. So usually the first two or three months, It'll be in-house. They'll be relatively friendly trying to keep you as a good customer relationship. But after about three months, they're often either selling the debt off or contracting the third parties um, who definitely take a much harder tack and will start to threaten um, things like legal action. Um, You know, oftentimes the threats they don't follow through on. But again, more and more that I'm seeing is creditors are following through and are taking action. And if they do take legal action, it could result in two things. It could be both or one or the other. But one is wage guard which we've alluded to a little bit, and this is where a portion of your wages will go to your credit or the person that you owe money to until the debt is repaid. There could be fees, penalties, interest, even the legal cost of the creditor going to court and getting this order against you. That could be added to the total amount that you had to pay. So they could either seize your wages and or they could seize assets. So a creditor might be given permission to take an asset like a vehicle or register a charge against your home or take money in your bank account uh, if you're defaulting on your debts. Um, you know, definitely when you're starting to have your assets seized, that's the most drastic situation um, you could be facing, and that's when you really do need to get some good advice. You know, usually it doesn't go from zero to a hundred of legal action right overnight. Usually there's periods of time where you're getting the collection calls, you're receiving the threats. You can usually see these things coming, but if you ignore things, if you stop answering the phone or stop opening the mail, um, you know, it's quite possible you can end up with a seizure action against you without much notice to you. And you've also got to be a little bit careful, too. If you don't get that good advice in the right moment, um, you might be pushed into some options that just aren't really good for you. You know, a collection agent might say, well, we're going to be taking your wages tomorrow unless you agree, you know, to go and borrow a bunch of money to pay us off, essentially shifting the debt problem around, or unless you agree to cash in some assets like your RRSPs. So sometimes the threat of this legal action and people not understanding exactly, you know, the steps that have to be gone through, um, that can just scare folks into doing things that aren't in their best interest to try to deal with the debt situation and make it go away. Yeah, I have two things there. Don't stop opening your mail. I know that that's a very human kind of thing to do. It's just, okay, if I don't open it, it doesn't actually exist. And and that's just such a bad, bad thing to do. So please don't. And I also would think that that would be a great indicator, Blair, that you need to get some help. You need to talk to somebody from Sands and Associates to take the best next step if that's the kind of situation you're in. Well, absolutely, Elaine. You know, year in, year out, as we study our client base, you know, the number one warning sign is just people feel stressed. And the reason you stop opening your mail is because you just feel stressed when you open it up. You know it's not good news. You try to avoid it. So it's really not one of these, you know, sophisticated, crazy warning signs. If you feel like you have a debt problem, if you feel like you have stress when you think about your finances, there's probably something there and you'd benefit from having a good discussion with a professional. And don't automatically think that, well, if if I don't cash in my RRSPs right now, I'm going to have to do it eventually anyway, so why don't I just do that? And you've talked about that lots of times. It's just That's just not the best thing to do. 
Oh, it's usually the worst possible thing you can do. So anybody that's about to cash in RRSPs to pay debt, please stop. Think twice, call us, we'll talk to you about how this is a protected asset. Folks can go through even a bankruptcy proceeding and come out the other side with 100% of their RRSPs intact. Of course, if you choose to cash them in, well, they're gone at that point. So it really is a huge um, you know, night and day difference. Yeah. So give them a call, Sands and Associates. Their phone number again, 1-800-661-3030. Check out their website. It's just chock-a-block full of great information. And the, that ad, that website address is sands-trustee.com. So Blair, do creditors actually start seizing your wages if you don't pay your debt? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to hear that answer, but I have a feeling, I have a feeling they can. Yeah. The short answer is yes. Um, you know, there are a number of steps that are involved, so it's not the case, you know, you default on a payment yesterday and your wages will be seized tomorrow. It, it takes time, and usually there's a lot of threats involved first, but it is possible on, on consumer debt. So, you know, we talk about wage garnishment. Sometimes it's called a garnishee or a wage assignment or an attachment, um, but it can be done by any creditor, anybody that you owe money to, as long as they follow the necessary processes, and that varies a little bit depending on who the creditor is. So if it's an individual creditor like a bank, a credit card company, or a collection agency, um, you know, they have to avail themselves of the court system. I'll take you through those processes in a second. Uh, but for Canada Revenue Agency, and this could be amounts for taxpayer debt, income taxes, GST, payroll deductions, student loans, EI overpayments, you know, everything like that, with CRA, they can actually shortcut the court proceeding altogether. They don't have to apply to court. Um, they can act relatively quickly to seize wages. But as I alluded to earlier, CRA has really slowed down, especially during the pandemic. So the actions that I'm seeing now are exclusively creditor-driven um, through the court system. I would expect when CRA starts to ramp up their collection activities and do, doing wage seizures, you know, that'll be just another shock to individuals because it's been about over two years um, of them not pursuing any wage seizures, at least that we've seen. So in terms of, of what creditors have to do. So if it's not CRA, if it's, say, you know, a bank credit card, a line of credit, or even a personal debt, uh, they have to apply to court. And all that costs money. It's at the creditor's expense. They have to get two orders for a wage garnishment. So first step is they have to get a court judgment against you that confirms that you owe the creditor the debt. So you have to be served with these documents. You've got 21 days to respond. You know, they have to try to find you. And if they can't find you, they can, you know, reasonably take some steps and then proceed anyway. Uh, but but the first step is just them getting the court to agree, yes, this is a valid debt. Um, and typically, if it's, you know, a debt that you incurred, honestly, it's not, you know, due to fraud, you understand that you owe the money, you know, that action is just going to happen. They're going to be able to get that order. Uh, once they have that judgment against you, the second thing they need to do is get what's called a garnishing order. Uh, and that allows them uh, to basically give it to your payroll department to say, here's a garnishing order from the court, and it directs the payroll department to withhold funds uh, and pay them into the court in instead, and then the creditor has the ability to apply to court to receive that money from your paycheck. So it sounds convoluted. It is convoluted. It costs money from the creditors um, you know, to do it, but you can tell they would only do it if they believe they're going to be actually actually able to get some money back. So typically the individuals that are you know job-to-job or paycheck-to-paycheck, um, they don't get garnished a whole lot because the creditor might spend a whole lot of money on getting a garnishing order, and then the person might just quit their job or move on. But 
folks who have long-term employment, often unionized or public sector workers, they're prime targets to have their wages garnished because generally the creditors know if they spend the money on legal costs, the person's not going to leave their employment, and unless they seek the help from a trustee, they're probably going to be able to, to proceed with this garnishment for quite some time. It, can we talk about how much of a person's in, income a creditor is allowed to take? Because I don't know the, that answer. Yeah, it varies from province to province, and in BC, the limit is 30% of your net income may be garnished. So that's what I generally, the first phone calls we get, people are saying, yeah, there was about a third of my paycheck that's gone. I'm like, yep, that's that's typically in line with what we would expect. Now, there are some exceptions to this. Um, if it's Canada Revenue Agency debt, those limits don't apply, and they also don't apply to Family Maintenance Enforcement Program, or FMEP, and this is if you have arrears of child support or spousal support. Um, those amounts you know, they could be garnished at up to 100%, um, and also amounts uh, earned through self-employment could be seized at up to 100%. Uh, you know, the good news in most cases is that people on fixed incomes, like a CPP, OAS, uh, GIS, employment insurance, or social assistant, assistance, in general, those wages are considered exempt, except if there's amounts owing to Canada Revenue Agency. I have seen them seize up to 100% of someone's pension income, and you kind of wonder what do they expect the person to do, but they're within their rights to, to do so from CRA's perspective, uh, or from FMEP for child or family support. So in most cases, it's 30%, but it could be up to 100%, depending on the type of the debt and the circumstances around it. Got it. And I guess in closing on this segment, uh, because it feels pretty awful. I mean, we haven't really talked about the the best going solutions, but I do want to focus on the fact that folks, so easy for them to feel they're completely alone in this when in fact they are not. Yeah, two things to take away, Elaine. They're not alone, and there absolutely is a solution. So I want to spend a lot of time explaining on how a garnishee can happen, but how a garnishee can be stopped is remarkably straightforward. You come to see a licensed insolvency trustee. The day that you file a consumer proposal is the day I can advise the employer they never have to submit another garnishee. If a personal bankruptcy is the better option, it gives that same protection. So only a licensed insolvency trustee can stop this court proceeding dead in its tracks, can get you back your wages, stop them from being taken in the future. So it's just so important that you get that that advice at the right time. You know, you could decide, you know, to fight this in court, to go to the judge and say, you know, well, 30% is too high, I won't be able to live, and maybe they'd be able to reduce it a little bit. But typically, your better option is to actually deal with the entire debt situation, sit down with a trustee and let us use the power that we have to stop you from this terrible wage garnishment situation. Here's the phone number, 1-800-661-3030, to sit down with somebody from Sands & Associates and stop this kind of action. Check out their website as well, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about building credit history after a consumer proposal or you filed for personal bankruptcy. We're going to learn about establishing a positive credit history and score after that financial fresh start that we've learned so much about, as well as reset uh, after a consumer proposal or bankruptcy. So if you're considering debt management options but worried about long-term or even permanent damage to your credit history, 
Blair Manton is going to tell us all about it and explain the impact of common debt resolution options and the steps that we can take to build a credit history. So, Blair, before we dig into the tips on how folks can build up their credit score after debt, can you give us a bit of information on how credit history and a credit score work if we don't know already? Well, certainly, Elaine, and it, this is something that just about everyone that I speak to when they're talking about their debt, they're always concerned, well, what's the impact of my, on my credit score, on my credit history? And we've been really conditioned to look at this as a great indicator of our financial health and quite often financial health. And quite often, it's not indicating that you're financially healthy. It's just indicating that you're quite a profitable consumer for the bank. So what we need to understand with credit scores and credit history is that they were originally designed not as something that would be consumer facing, not as a number that you're going to chase or even know about. They were designed by the bank so that they can segment their customers and know which customers are essentially paying the highest interest charges, paying their debts back you know, on a reliable basis or not, and then the bank can make better decisions. But what's interesting is sometimes the things that are best for you personally, best for your cash flow and your budget, are actually bad for your credit score. And sometimes what's great for your bank and your credit score is not really that good for your personal finances. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as we get further into the topic. But in terms of just some general information, so your credit score, it's a numerical value, and it typically range, ranges from a low of about 300 to a high of 900. So if you've heard people say, hey, my credit's 800, well, yeah, that, that's definitely pretty good. You don't, generally don't hear people saying, hey, my credit's 350. If they know that, they're generally not talking too much about it. Uh, but what's interesting, too, is that actual credit score, you're never going to know exactly what it is because it's calculated at a point in time by each lender specifically using all of their different methods of putting a bunch of information together. So when you go online, you say, you know, get your free credit score or pay a little bit for a credit score, you're getting something that, you know, might be directionally accurate, but it could be off by, you know, a number of points, a significant number of points, if the lender that you're actually looking to borrow from uses the, the math in a different way. Uh, what your banks and lenders do, along with the credit score, um, is they also look at a credit report. And a credit report is essentially a record of your credit history. So it includes your personal information, details about each debt, how long you've had the accounts, uh, what's the balance, and what's the payment history. And what folks, I think, are generally aware of, but, but your credit score and your credit history, they can change every single month because typically every month, that's when your lenders, like a credit card company or you know contracts that you have, like a cell phone, uh, they're reporting either positive payments or delinquent payments. Also, new accounts opened, old accounts canceled, or even if people have made inquiries, if you're shopping around with different lenders and they're checking your credit score, that's also noted on your credit report. So to find out your credit score, again, I've said it, it's, you can just basically get a directional indication. Um, you can do that with either of the two large credit bureaus of Equifax or TransUnion. That's also where you can get your credit report, which you know can often run at least a few pages, sometimes 10, even 20 pages. And that's going to be you know the long-term record um, of your history of use of credit. So, and I want to throw in here the idea that if you've already been listening to Blair and, and us talk about credit history and credit score and you've still got debt and you don't know what to do and you already know that you need to do something, the very best thing you can do is get a hold of Sands and Associates and talk to them about your situation and see if there isn't something that you can do proactively or if you need to step back and take action, whatever avenue it is, give them a call if you you're unsure about next steps, uh, it's easy. The number is 1-800-661-3030 or 
check their website at sands-trustee.com. So consumer proposals, personal bankruptcy, Blair, something we always talk about. What's the, can you explain what the impact of something like a proposal, consumer proposal or bankruptcy does to a credit history and the person's ability to borrow? I guess we're talking about after debt. Uh, what, what kind of impact that has? Well, I think that's a huge insight that I'd like people to, to hopefully take away is that nothing is permanent when it comes to your credit score. So everything does transition, you know, even a, a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, they're not going to be there for the rest of your life. So when I see sometimes financial experts in the media say, you know, bankruptcy is lifelong consequences, well, it, bankruptcy disappears off your credit six years after you finished it. So most people, they finish a bankruptcy in nine months. Six years after that, it's like it never happened. It's not showing up on any credit bureaus. Um, and most of the time, people can rebuild their credit much sooner than the time it takes for a bankruptcy to drop off of, of a credit report. Quite often, people can get, get new mortgages established, have credit cards, um, you know, finance vehicles in as little as two to three years after they've restructured their debts. So when you sit down with someone, you say, you know, if you keep doing what you're doing, we'll be paying this debt off for 30 years. Your credit might look great um, if we file either a bankruptcy or a proposal, a deal with the debt much more quickly, and then you focus on rebuilding your credit, it's often just two to three years of credit rebuilding is all that it's going to take to get you back to probably a better credit score or credit rating than you had before. So as I mentioned, a, a personal bankruptcy, it's going to drop off your credit report six years after it's finished. A consumer proposal, which we talk about a ton and just very quickly, that's where you consolidate all of your debt together, you freeze all the interest charges, and you pay back what you can afford to repay. It's usually a lot less than the full amount. It's often, you know, 20 to 30 cents on the dollar. Um, that type of a proposal drops off the earlier of six years from the day that you sign it or three years from when it's paid off. So a lot of proposals are over a five-year term. So by the time you finish paying your proposal, literally 12 months after that, it's gone off your bureau like it never happened. Um, and you can, again, start rebuilding your credit at any point during those proceedings. You don't need to wait until either a bankruptcy or a proposal has disappeared from your credit report. Can we talk a little bit about, and, and this is really something that we've got sort of, sort of scheduled for the end, closer to the end of this segment, but how can somebody, uh, just a regular consumer, get to the point of understanding what the best debt approach is for their situation? Because there are more than just a consumer proposal or bankruptcy. There's all kinds of different things that you can do, one can do. Uh, of course, we talk about the consumer proposal and bankruptcy as, as two of one of the, well, the, the better of all the options for so many reasons. But is there ways for somebody to really understand the best debt approach to take. Yeah, the, you know, the best way, Elaine, is just to reach out for help even well before you think your situation is dire. So we have just a ton of meetings these days with folks who just need a little bit of coaching, a little few questions answered to understand, you know, what they're facing and what their options are. So when you reach out to somebody like Sanson Associates, we're going to help you assess your current situation, understand your goals, and then address your questions and concerns. And it's often the case that people have, you know, fragments of information that have kind of held in their, in their mind, and they're not always correct. Uh, and sometimes they're basing, um, you know, some of their bigger financial decisions in life, things like not dealing with their debt, because they're worried they'll never be able to get a mortgage if they ever file a bankruptcy. And as soon as we can dispel some of those myths, you know, people tend to, to feel a whole lot better. So 
So anytime you sit down with Sands and Associates, the free confidential meeting, we'll talk through all of the options. And if you do decide to restructure your debts, we take you through some very detailed financial counseling. Well, we've got YouTube videos that talk about how to rebuild your credit. We've got a whole five-step plan to get you there. But what I want people to take away is that essentially nothing is a life sentence when it comes to a credit rating. And preserving a high credit rating at the expense of not paying off your debt is never a good financial strategy to follow. It's much better uh, oftentimes to take the hit in the short term, restructure the debts, and you can rebuild far quickly than probably you thought possible. And uh, something that Sands and Associates offers, it's not just the data and the information and the forms and the documents, but also there's some very specific counseling that accompanies uh, pr- this process. Yeah, there, there's two two counseling sessions that folks have to sit down with us for, and generally I say have to, but it's a huge benefit. People get a lot of value out of it. And during the second one, we talk about exactly how you're going to rebuild your credit, so everything from making sure your proceeding is finished up to date, making sure the report is accurate. We talk to you about getting new credit, as weird as that sounds. We don't want to encourage people to go further into debt, but if you want to rebuild your credit bureau, you do have some good steps to follow to get new credit. We take you through all of that when you sit down with us. If you're wanting more information, very easy to do. Give Sands & Associates a phone call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that first appointment and sit down and talk about your situation. Or you can also check out their website, sands-trustee.com. Lots of good information there, and you can still make an appointment through there. We're going to learn about how much bankruptcy can cost a person, the costs in filing for bankruptcy, as well as Canada's top bankruptcy alternative. Uh, Blair's going to, uh, Blair, of course, from Sands & Associates, BC's largest firm of licensed insolvency trustees, is going to break down the cost of declaring bankruptcy, as well as that unique consolidation alternative with no added costs. Um, and we often mention, Blair, that licensed insolvency trustees are government-qualified professionals uh, that debt and that debt consultations are free. Can you walk us through what's involved in starting the process of working with an LIT? Uh, it's so important and, and boy, oh boy, can be a real godsend for folks that are, are really struggling right now. Well, definitely, Elaine. You know, I often say the hardest part of working with a trustee is just having the courage to make that first call because it is a call into the unknown and quite often people are worried about being judged or feeling ashamed about their situation. But when you reach out for help, you know you're dealing with someone that's got the professional ability um, and, you know, the empathy and the desire to really help you get out of a tough situation. Uh, You know, one thing that we really want as trustees at Sands and Associates is for everyone to understand all of their options and then make a clear-eyed decision on how they can move forward. So that goes for all the solutions that are out there and for the solutions that we can provide, a a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. You know, what people should take away is that there's only one government-regulated and endorsed debt health professional. So it's only a licensed insolvency trustee has the backing of the Canadian government to implement Canadian law to help you deal with a tough debt situation. Um, Trustees are legally authorized to assist people in managing and resolving virtually all types of consumer debts, including government debt, and only a trustee can help with government debt, as well as debts that might be related to business operations or, um, you know, debts that you've co-signed, really just about anything under the sun. And it's so important that people get reliable and trustworthy debt advice. So an LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee, is going to help you through the challenges that you're facing. It could be things like giving you some general debt advice, answering your questions about specific creditors. It could be assessing your personal or your business financial situation. You know, is this business still viable? Should I continue to inject money or not at this point? 
Uh, a trustee is going to help explain all the debt management options available to you, the pros and cons of each. Um, and then if you do decide to move forward, a trustee can prepare and file all the legal documents that you need to execute. Uh, what's really great is the first step with a trustee, it might be tough to pick up the phone, but it doesn't cost you anything. It's a free confidential meeting with a very qualified person. You don't need any referrals. You don't have to have a certain credit rating uh, or put anything up front. You just need to reach out directly to have that first conversation. And then, of course, after sitting with an LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee, you actually get to move forward and can move forward and create a bit of a path to do that. Uh, I can't, I can't stress enough that it's such a good phone call to make. It's 1-800-661-3030. Check out their website, sans-trustee.com. If, uh, if you feel like, if you feel like you need some help with this, uh, more than likely you do. And, uh, and that's the best course of action is 1-800-661-3030. Website again, sans-trustee.com. Blair, what are the kinds of costs or fees that are charged if a person decides to either pursue a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal when working with uh, someone like yourself, a licensed insolvency trustee? Yeah, it's a great question, Elaine. And, you know, one of the key principles when you're dealing with a trustee is transparency. So we know people are nervous if they're dealing with a debt situation. They don't want to have, you know, hidden fees or things that are unanticipated or things you suddenly will get a bill for. But when you're dealing with a trustee, everything is set by a government-regulated tariff. So you know exactly what things are going to cost you before you ever get into a proceeding. And trustees don't set their own costs. It isn't a case where there's a fee for service. And if you phone the trustee, you're going to be clicking go on this time clock and we're going to bill you for whatever percentage of an hour it was that we spent on the phone with you like a lawyer. It's nothing like that. So when you deal with the trustee, uh, the questions that you might have, the support that you need, everything is included in whatever fees you might be required to pay. And then once the administration is concluded, there's a document prepared called a statement of receipts and disbursements. And just like what it sounds like, it's a statement that shows all the money that was received in either a bankruptcy or a proposal and where that money was dispersed. So how much went to pay back the debts, how much was retained by the trustee for cost of administration, how much went for filing fees, counseling fees, so on and so forth. And before the trustee is able to receive any fees for their services, their regulator, my regulator, the superintendent of bankruptcy, has to sign off on that statement of receipts and disbursement. So it's very transparent. Uh, it's something you can see all the way along and see very much up front what you'll actually have to pay. Uh, in terms of what individuals actually have to pay, in most cases, if you're doing a personal bankruptcy with SANS and associates, the vast majority of individuals that file for bankruptcy are low income. They don't pay a percentage of their income. They just pay the cost of administration of the bankruptcy, and that's fixed at a rate of $2,300, which is normally payable in monthly payments over the nine-month period of the bankruptcy. So most people think that bankruptcy is going to last for six or seven years and might, might cost them huge amounts of money. For the vast majority of cases, for those that file for bankruptcy, if you're low income, you're required to pay $2,300 over the nine-month period, and that's all that you have to pay. It's inclusive of all costs, uh, all support from the trustee, counseling fees, filing fees, taxes, so on and so forth. Uh, and the trustee during the course of the bankruptcy is going to be contacting all of your creditors, making sure all the claims are administered correctly, uh, prepare your tax returns, uh, deal with all the government filings, GST that's required, and really get you that fresh financial start. Cool. And what about uh, for a consumer proposal? How does that how does that work uh, in terms of costs, etc.? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the consumer proposal, it's you know perhaps even more straightforward. It, there's nothing additional that's charged to an individual when they file a consumer proposal. So the way a consumer proposal works is we'd say, well, here's the amount of debt that you have, and you know maybe that's a, a large amount of debt you can't afford to repay. We say, what can you afford to repay? So maybe it was a thirty thousand dollar debt, and you can afford to repay ten thousand dollars. If your proposal is for ten thousand dollars, that's all that you pay. The trustee gets paid out of that amount. So if it was you know, $300 over 36 months in, in broad terms there, that's all that you would pay is $300 on a monthly basis. The trustee is allowed to retain part of that payment for costs of administration, but there's nothing additional ever charged to the individual. So it's based on what you can afford to repay on the debts, full stop, no fees on top of that when you file a consumer proposal. Did you want to give some more examples of the kinds of costs for, for people doing a consumer proposal? Because I always find it so interesting. Oh, I was thought you'd never ask. I would love to. These are great <laughs> examples. So, and you know, these yeah. are all real people that we've dealt with over the last couple of months here. So, you know, one individual debts of forty-one thousand dollars. We're able to do a consumer proposal that reduced the debts by nearly fifty percent, and they're paying three hundred and fifty dollars a month over sixty months. So, just hugely life-changing to them. Uh, we had another person with a smaller amount of debt. Now, this was a payday loan, so this was nine thousand dollars now. But if we let this go for another year, it might be double based on the interest rates. Uh, we were able to cut their debt by 55%. So they were paying back $200 a month over a 24-month period. Uh, just one of the payday loans they had outstanding was higher than $200 a month, and they had about five or six of them. So this was just a huge saving to them. Wow. Uh, and we had a, a self-employed individual who had some debts of about $43,000, which included a bunch of money to Canada Revenue Agency. We were able to reduce their debt down to $230 a month over 60 months, which was about $0.30 cents on the dollar repayment. The balance of 70% of the debt was written off by the creditors. That's a, that's quite something. Um, and in closing, too, you know, I just want to remind everybody, like, just like the examples that you just talked about, everybody's situation is so different and so unique from each other that that's where Sands and Associates shine so well, is they'll sit down with you, work all of this out, looking at exactly what your situation is and figure out the best path forward. Um, their phone number, it's easy, 1-800 at 661-3030 to get that sitting down with somebody and talking about this. The website, sands-trustee.com, is filled with good information. If you're not quite sure you want to take make that phone call, that will convince you it's the best uh, thing to do to move forward. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.